Hello, everybody. I'm Phil Brandt, President and CEO of AIM Employers Association, and welcome to This Week at Work. Welcome to the only show about the workplace that offers you front row seats and a microphone, bringing you practical, timely, and accurate insights so that you can more effectively lead your organization. It's Thursday, June 22nd, episode 236. Today, is HR ready for AI? While some fear we're on a reckless path towards a human extinction level event, we're gonna slow it down, take a breath, and concentrate first on avoiding a career extinction event. Backed by popular demand is Jen Betts, an expert in the impact of technology in the workplace. So what AI tools are being embraced? What legal snags should be considered? What legislation is already in the works? It's a new age and you have new questions. So send them our way. All this and more on This Week at Work. All right, welcome back, and thank you for joining us, Bert. You look a lot better today than you did last week, my friend. <laughs> I actually got a little bit of sleep. You know, you remember, as uh, Jim Plunkett said in our last show, I had taken the uh, Ogletree Client Pledge many years ago, and sometimes that requires a couple days without sleep. Yeah, well, you were almost on uh, 48 hours there, weren't you? <laughs> Something like that. I kind of lost track. Yeah, well, I'm uh, I'm sure you did a good job for your client, as you always do. That's why I like working with you, because I think you're one of the best in the industry. So thank you for being a part of the program. But we need to maybe get you hooked up with uh, an AI assistant uh, to take up some of the slack that you're leaving there. I don't know. But just kidding. We won't do that. Um, let's well, see. We, we, we wouldn't want to have uh, that AI assistant, Monique, get us off track today, especially considering... We have a special guest backed by popular demand. Uh, I don't know. Sometimes I think of her a little bit as Monique's mother since she made her appearance as Genbot before transforming into Monique. Good morning, Jen. Welcome back. Good morning. Happy to be with you. All right. Hey, um, I've heard good things about you, Jen. This is my first time working with you, but... Um, our viewers had a lot of positive things to say. Technically, I wasn't on the show uh, as I was on vacation, but I think my likeness certainly was used on your program. As long as everyone had a good time with it, I, I think that's great. We got a lot to cover. Uh, let's introduce our polls today. Uh, first uh, question for the polls we'd like to hear from you is four months, let's see, four months ago, we asked this question. Um, we asked the question, has your audience, let's see, Give me a second. Here it is. I'm sorry. Uh, have you used AI in your HR processes? So that's the question we asked four months ago. We'd like to hear what the answer is, and maybe we can do some comparison. Uh, and the second question is, what uh, word comes to mind when you think of AI impact on HR, which is what we're going to talk about today. But first, let's go to Lawyer on the Clock. Are you ready, Bert? Let's do it. All right. All right, it's time to look into what's trending in employment law. Lawyer, you're on the clock. All right, so we've got a few interesting topics for everybody today. The first one I want to talk about is the Senate, a Senate panel advanced a bill uh, to overhaul the labor uh, and workplace laws in the United States. There's a panel of the Senate uh, called this the Senate Chamber's Health, Education, Labor, and Pensions Committee. And they advanced some legislation yesterday in, a let, in an 11 to 10 party line vote. 
that would really overhaul labor laws governing unionization, establish paid sick leave for most workers, and strengthen laws to mitigate wage discrimination based on gender. But before anybody gets too worked up about this, I want to make it very, very clear that these bills are highly likely to stall before going before the full Senate due to some pretty serious uncertainty over the total Democratic backing and certainly lacking Republican support to reach the 60 vote threshold needed to pass most of this legislation. And that's not even to mention uh, once this piece of legislation would get over to uh, the House of Representatives. But what it does is it gives us a little bit of a preview, Phil and Jen, into what the Democrat uh, agenda is as far as labor and employment law in the United States. So there's three pieces of legislation. The first is the Paycheck Fairness Act, which would make it unlawful for an employer to prohibit an employee from disclosing information about their wages, limit employers' defense and wage discrimination claims to only a bona fide job-related factor or factors, and increase civil penalties for violations of equal pay provisions. Yeah. Uh, the bill, which passed the House, had failed a procedural vote in the Senate in 2021 for lacking the 60 necessary votes. And so uh, I, I see that f having the same fate again this time around. Yeah, you know, I I really I don't like that. There's a lot of things as a as a business leader trying to run an organization that when I'm recruiting someone, I'd like to know what they were making as I'm going into the position that we're offering. And I understand the fairness side of that, but the other side of that is is I want to know that there's motivation, excitement, enthusiasm about the compensation. Uh, coming into the job, if I'm offering someone maybe the same or less, they may not be as motivated as I would like them to be when they're joining the organization. And therefore, I may have, I may give them more, you know, to, to help with that. Um, and it, I, it really can create some challenges in the talent, particularly like in sales roles. You know, mm -hmm. it, you, I don't want someone who I don't want to pay them more in a base salary. And then they come in and they're making more than they've ever made in a base salary. And they don't have the motivation to go out and sell or promote uh, services to our members or, or so on. That can really create some problems. Yeah, it, it certainly can. And, and you know, just to, to uh, kind of put it in perspective to show the real world impact of this, just last week, late last week, uh, I got, uh, I was awarded summary judgment from the United States District Court here in the Eastern District of Missouri on behalf of a client, that this was squarely the issue in the case was uh, the, the, uh, the, the employee's prior pay at her prior job many years ago was a factor that the company used in setting her pay at the current job at this company. Mm -hmm. And uh, when she left, she sued for systemic, well, not for systemic, but for ongoing uh, discrimination based on pay, and the court agreed that looking at factors such as prior employment, what she was paid at a prior employer, is a legitimate factor so long as we're not using it to uh, discriminate. So right. uh, again, just shows the real world impact of it. So also, uh, the this panel voted uh, 11 to 10 to move forward with the Fa Healthy Families Act which would guarantee seven paid sick days for workers and businesses with 15 or more employees, and then seven unpaid days for those in companies with fewer than 15 employees. Of course, 
the Federal Family and Medical Leave Act doesn't kick in until you have 50 or more employees within 75 miles of the work site. So this would make a very marked change for businesses with fewer than 50 employees. Uh, the fact of the matter is, is that most employers in the country, not all, but most employers in the country that uh, have 15 or more employees probably have uh, paid, paid sick leave for employees or paid vacation or paid time off. Uh, so it might not be as huge of a change as it seems, but certainly it would impact businesses with fewer than uh, 50 employees who aren't giving leave right now. And then the last one, Phil, I want to chat about on, on this uh, Senate uh, effort here is the Protect the Right to Organize Act. And I know we've talked about this on the program. And from my perspective, the Protecting Right to Organize Act contains every failed labor initiative over the last 40 years, <laughs> all combined into a single piece of legislation. Hey, it don't is, hold back now, Bert. I'm not going to. It's going to, uh, it would fundamentally transform labor law in this country uh, and, and set us back uh, decades, I believe. But uh, this thing, uh, among other things, the bill would lower the bar for workers to be classified as employees. It would override work to write laws that allow employees to opt out of paying dues in unionized workplaces and would allow employees to use mail or electronic ballots in elections. It would codify all of that stuff. This is not going to go anywhere. Uh, it would never pass the House with the Republican majority. But again, this shows where the Democrats are on legislation affecting labor and employment law. And this is a very, very aggressive piece of legislation. Now, the significance is, is that it's not, like I said, it's not going to pass. It's not going to get out of the Senate right now. It's not going to get through the House. But what they can't get through legislation, they're going to try to get through the National Labor Relations Board. And so when you look at about the the top 15 to 17 items that the PRO Act is trying to accomplish, you, you have a complete roadmap of what the NLRB is looking to do through its rulemaking and through uh, case law before the board. So uh, significant development here. There's only one other one I want to talk about really quickly because I know we have a lot of other stuff to cover on the program and I don't want to exceed my six minutes, but uh, we've talked a lot on the program about uh, the uh, you, uh, uh, Service Employees International Union and the United Food and Commercial Workers Union that they've been having a lot of success around the country, organizing restaurants and retails, uh, retail establishments. And we've talked about uh, this in the context of Starbucks. I did just get noticed that yesterday, right here in St. Louis, for those of you who may go to the Afton Starbucks, uh, there was a petition filed yesterday by the uh, Service Employees International Union to organize all the full and uh, regular part-time baristas and shift supervisors at the Starbucks here in Afton in St. Louis. So uh, just interesting. It'll be interesting to see what, if any, type of campaign uh, that, this, uh, that, that Starbucks might try to mount there. Uh, we, I may not, may or may not be able to chat about that on the program because we may or may not be involved in that if it comes to fruition, but uh, just a heads up to everybody. And I'd love to hear from folks on the program. If anybody does uh, go to that Afton Starbucks, uh, if they're noticing or seeing anything uh, as they patronize that store over the next uh, several weeks to, to a couple of months. 
Yeah. And uh, Bert, you said the shift supervisor. So is that more of a team lead type position versus a true supervisor then? That's clearly what the, what the union would be advocating is that the shift supervisors are nothing more than leads. Yeah. Uh, that would have to be sorted out in litigation with the NLRB uh, through what's, you know, the, the employer gets the opportunity to file a position statement. Uh, they could perhaps challenge uh, the, the inclusion of the shift supervisors, and then the board would make a determination whether the shift supervisors are in or out. Yeah, and I think that's the key message for our listeners. I know I've been through it many a times, but when you get these um, petitions, um, there's probably going to be challenge. That's where you want to, you know, hook up with Bert and Ogletree and create the challenge where it needs to be created because uh, the union will take liberty with that. And sometimes it cast a very wide net. Not everyone in the net belongs or has the right to be a part of a union. So that's important to keep your eye on. Yep. Anything else, Bert? No, I think we've covered enough because I know we want to get to uh, Philbert's forum and then get to the star of the show today, Jen, so she can uh, fill people in on what's going on with AI uh, in the workplace and, and our federal government. Yes. Well, I know Nick has been up working feverishly all evening on these uh, next couple promotions. Nick, I'm going to let you go ahead and roll Filbert's Forum. You've just entered Filbert's Forum, where we peel the onion back and take a lighter look at the workplace. All right, Nick, you want to set up what we have here? Since we're talking AI, uh, we went ahead and had a little bit of fun with some of those apps. You've seen the the kid who does the little has a little half smile and he kind of moves his mouth and nods his head along to the music and i always wondered you know certainly it's not going to look that good well y'all can be the judge of it because we have phil and bert acting up <laughs> you sound great bert i worked really hard at this phil <laughs> That's good, Nicholas. Yes. Now, for our uh, audio listeners, you might go to YouTube after this and check it out. <laughs> That's excellent. What else you have, Nick? Well, we do have another because you, you got to say, okay, can it do better? Well, again, be the judge. Wow, you can really dance. Wow, you can really dance. He went. He went. They said we've both been dancing all this time. Coincidence. <laughs> That's a good watch. Oh, Bert, I think they may have caught you in Florida. You must have been at some rave or something in Florida. Absolutely. You know me, man. Me. Yeah. <laughs> that is funny. Hey, Party you, you got to close it out with just one more, Nick. Well, I, somebody sounded like they were giggling in the background. Well, I think it's maybe time to bring them into it. Here you go, Jen. Drop the beat. Yeah, that is really good. So Nick, uh, that artificial intelligence wasn't done with uh, thousands of dollars of equipment in your office there, was it? No, that was the, the first one I could find that I could successfully do a few for free just to even see if it worked. So I, you do have to watch an ad, um, but th this is that's called face dance. 
And the kids, the kids, if you have anybody under, I'd say 12, they'll enjoy it. <laughs> I, I agree right. with you on that. Under 12 is key because I sent that, uh, I sent one of those to my uh, family. The only one who thought it was funny was my wife, my 24-year-old, my 22, and my 20-year-old, uh, all just crickets. They they didn't even respond. <laughs> well, I have a sense of humor of a 10-year-old, so I thought it was hilarious. So <laughs> Thank I'm you, Jen. <laughs> All right. Well, that's a good Filbert's Forum. Thank you for that, Nick. Let's get on to our guest today, Jen Betts. Uh, she's joining us from Pittsburgh, where the I guess the phrase is Yins. Is that it? Yeah. I mean, I feel like this might be some product promo, but I'm actually drinking Yins coffee right now. So Yen's I'm very coffee. like leaning into the Pittsburghese in this exact moment. <laughs> So we hope Yens are doing good out there, and we're happy you're on the program, Jen. Um, we're going to talk about AI, and you guys had a great conversation before. We got a lot to discuss. Um, first, let's just start with a very simple question. What impact do you see AI having uh, on HR at this point? How do, you, how do you see that affecting us? Yeah, I was kind of curious. I don't know if this is like the appropriate time in the program or not, but the polling results were sort of surprising to me. It looked like I was seeing a sneak preview of them earlier live. We can bring them about, up, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah, only about, it looked like, yeah, 10 to 20% of the audience that's participating this morning were saying that they are using AI. And my eyesight's so bad, but it looks like they're seeing positive results. And then the remaining roughly 75% are saying they're not using it or they're very concerned or maybe considering yeah. it. This so if I share that with you, you have uh, 22% using it. Um, you have 22% considering implementing it. And then another 55% saying, no, I don't think it's good fit for their business. Uh, Nick, how did that compare to the question last time we asked? It's moving as we speak. You see that? But yeah, this is what's kind of interesting. I want to see how quick technology is moving. And if we go to the previous... Yeah, that. well, that's quite yeah. a bit, quite a bit different, isn't it? In four months, well, too. Wow. The thing of it is that why this interests me. Ogletree actually, we do a benchmarking surveys. Bert might have talked about them on this program. Not, not only right. that, we we actually had Jim McGrew on to talk about uh, the benchmarking. Nobody survey. better than Jim McGrew to talk about it. But every year that we've done the survey, we've asked about employer use of artificial intelligence in the workplace. And usually our results are very similar to what I'm seeing on this poll, which is about like 20%. Contrast that to a lot of other polls that are out there, including ones that the EEOC has promulgated, where they say 70 to 80% of Fortune 500 companies are using artificial intelligence in their HR processes. So there's this gap there that I find really intriguing. What I think is underlying that is that we don't all use the same definitions of artificial intelligence. Yeah. And so when this question is asked, it's requiring the audience to really understand what that means, how government regulators are defining it, how state regulators are defining it. And there's not one uniform definition, something as simple as a chatbot, which a lot of employers are using Think about if you use like the Workday platform for your HRIS system, they're often chatbots even about benefits. That's a form of artificial intelligence. And so you might right. be using artificial intelligence as part of your HR processes, but not really think that you are because you're not using, this is just like gen lingo, but heavy AI. You're not using like a screener for a resume that is filtering people out through the use of artificial intelligence. So you're not thinking that it's actually being utilized in your workplace, but it might be. So 
to answer your question, I think though a lot of employers, a lot of workplaces are using some form of artificial intelligence, software, data analytics as part of their HR processes because it's very widely available, much cheaper than it was even a few years ago, and often very effective at driving efficiencies and lowering costs, but not using artificial intelligence in a way where we're making decisions in the workplace, which is where more of the risk from a legal perspective lies, where you're using artificial intelligence to either replace or substantially assist human decision-making. So let's take a look at the word cloud as well, because I think it kind of gives some of the emotions that people are linking to AI, um, you know, scary, fear, awful, nightmare. I mean, oh, wow. empower, hey. empowering, you know, I mean, there, that's a, there's a lot of uh, concern emotionally when you attach it. And I agree with you. When we say AI, what do we really mean? Uh, in that form. Uh, and I was doing some reading and it's, you know, just if you have a face ID on your phone, that's considered a AI. Sure um, is. As an example. Well, and most I, of us like that feature and use it. Um, we don't all choose to use it, but most of us do. Um, yeah, Phil, I, I, I'd be curious what people said on the word cloud before they watched those videos that Nick prepared and after. <laughs> yeah, because... maybe the scary was about our dance room. Exactly. <laughs> scary, awful, nightmare. I mean, I think that people, when they see that those videos of you and me singing and Jen dancing, they, they just change their attitude about AI immediately. I mean, oh. I thought we looked pretty good, but I guess others <laughs> might have a different point of view. This I, this. You know, again, this isn't surprising. Though, I think every day, if you look at CNN or Washington Post or New York Times or wherever you get your news, you're going to see headlines about artificial intelligence and like horror stories about risks, issues. I think we talked in our last session. I remember, I remember Bert talking about it. AI kind of like taking over um, and flirting with people and and like going like absolutely insane and in interactions through chatbots. This kind of stuff is filtering in our psyche. And so I think a lot of people have concerns. There was actually an open letter that was signed by hundreds of tech CEOs warning about the catastrophic risks to human life itself through right. the use of artificial intelligence. And people see that and they read that. So of course, there's a lot of concern out there. And I think that's reasonable. I think there's a lot that's happening with this technology. It's moving really, really fast. We talked about ChatGPT and generative AI in our last conversation. That didn't even exist on a public platform that we could all utilize for free six months ago. And look how it's pervaded everyday life. And so I think some natural hesitation and like gut checking before we adopt it in the workplace is a really smart approach. I know just for me personally, I use it almost every single day. Um, yeah. And, and, and that whether it's chat GPT or some other forms, it's it's something that I have found if you if you know what you're using and how to use it and how to apply it, it's extremely helpful in the workplace. Um, mm -hmm. But let's focus on the EEOC. So the EEOC definitely has a position on this. And we we mentioned and talk a little bit about it on the program. What what's their concern and what are they breaking it down too, when they say the, the EEOC doesn't want you using this for hiring. Yeah, I mean, they're not saying do or don't, right? Okay, so everybody that's listening to this program, I think, are HR pros. So everybody knows there's two big buckets of potential discrimination claims that the EEOC and state agencies are concerned about. Disparate treatment, oversimplified, that's intentional discrimination, and disparate impact, 
that's a neutral policy or practice that disproportionately impacts one group or another. What the EEOC is really concerned about with technology solutions used in the workplace is disparate impact. The EEOC thinks that as we utilize these tools, because they are developing really, really quickly, that there is a real potential that they could be utilized unintentionally in a way that harms one group or another. And so the EEOC came out with some guidance almost exactly a month ago, I think it was like May 18th of 2023, talking about under Title VII, which is sort of the principal anti-discrimination law that covers things like race and gender discrimination. The EEOC identified for employers and technical assistance guidance, which isn't binding, but ignore it at your own peril, that this kind of technology can create really serious disparate impact risks. And they gave some recommendations about guardrails that employers should put in place from the EEOC's perspective to mitigate that risk. The principal one of those guardrails is the EEOC is telling employers, if you're using this kind of technology in the workplace to impact employees in any kind of decision-making fashion, you should be doing assessments, both before you implement it and on an ongoing basis after implementation. And the EEOC is also telling employers, look, we know that you're not usually developing this technology in-house, you're getting it from a third-party vendor. We get that, you're still probably gonna be on the hook. If you're using this technology, even if you didn't develop it, somebody else bought it from them, and even if they tell you there's no disparate impact, which may happen, you're still on the hook because you're the employer and you're responsible for making sure that employees are treated fairly in the workplace. So are so, they talking primarily yeah. about like applicant tracking technologies and or pre-screening tools? No. I mean, yes, that's they gave a list of the types of uses of this sort of technology that they're commonly seeing in the workplace. And sure, resume screeners are a big one, but they were even talking about things as simple as chatbots in the workplace. Really, anything that you're using as an employer that has an impact on employees from a decision making or from a job performance perspective. They even talked about monitoring software that employers might be using. All of that is in the umbrella of what the EEOC calls artificial intelligence, technology, and software. They're concerned about all of it. And they want to make sure as employers are using it, that they create, like I said, these guardrails to mitigate the potential risk of harm for employees. And I think we talked in our last session about prior guidance that the EEOC issued about a year ago related to the Americans with Disabilities Act, because that's another big concern they have that employees aren't aware of what this technology is, they don't know how employers are using it, and they don't have the opportunity to request a reasonable accommodation so that they can, you know, perform their job functions or say, have the same opportunities as everybody else as this technology is used in the workplace. Thank you, Jen. Let's switch to New York City uh, sure. or New York. Uh, and why should we be concerned about the looming decision that lays in front of us? So it's New York City. You were right the first way you okay. said it. New York City has a law. It's a blockbuster law, and I'm not going to geek out because I know we only have a couple of minutes left, so I will restrain myself. But it is the first rule in the United States that has really detailed, robust requirements related to employer use of artificial intelligence in the workplace. And it's really process-oriented, where you have to provide very specific notices to employees and applicants about what kind of technology you're using. Plus, there's a mandatory disparate impact auditing requirement as well as a mandatory publishing requirement where you have to publish on a public website 
the results of your audit of these tools. That law goes into effect, folks, in about two and a half weeks. So if you have July 5th, if you have employees in the city of New York or applicants living in the city of New York and you don't have this on your radar, now is the time to have it on your radar because the huge spotlight on this law, the city has enforcement, the penalties can be $500 or more per violation. That means per employee, per application. Mm -hmm. So as you can imagine, that can really, really, really add up. So, so um, Jendi, do you think the policy goal behind this is to... Uh, in New York City to actually discourage employers from using AI, or do you think they're legitimately trying to put some safety, uh, some some guardrails around it? I mean, I'm so jaded at this point in my career that that's an unfair question to ask me. So I have my personal viewpoint. I can tell you what the city commission is saying is that they're trying to create a fair and equitable workplace for everyone, recognizing that these tools are going to be used. So let's make sure that they're used in a way that doesn't harm anybody. Okay, but well, I you look at it, it in your, a really nice way. All right. Yeah, I take it from your <laughs> other comment that you're you you think it's meant to discourage the employers from from using these tools. Yeah, well, well, yes. I mean, I think that's a reasonable assumption because yeah. of the the scope of the potential penalty penalties. Okay. It has so much teeth that as an employer, if you get hit once with one of these lawsuits, you're going to think twice before you use this technology again in the workplace. All right. So re just real quick in the next 20 seconds and Bert, maybe you can jump in. A lot of times uh, I'm getting asked and I'm going to a round table here in a little bit. I'll have 40 HR professionals and they'll ask, well, what do they mean? What, what tools? So chatbot was one of them. It could be your assessment tools, could be a form of AI that you're using to weed out uh, applicants. Are there anything else that jumps to either of your minds that they're referring to when they're saying tools or technologies? Yeah, I mean, the ones that get the most regulatory attention are resume screeners, mm -hmm. um, like tests, like coding tests for data analysts, monitoring technology that looks at keystrokes, virtual assistants and chatbots, and then video interviewing software. Those are the ones that we see a lot of movement and litigation and EEOC charges about. All right, Jen, thank you so much for joining the program. It's always nice to have you. And now I can see why our fans liked you so much. Welcome. Um, and thank you for joining us again. Bert, we'll be back here next week at 7.30 Central Time. We'll see you then. Bye-bye. Thank you once again for tuning in to This Week at Work. If you enjoy the show, please share it with your colleagues. Forward our invites. Share the link, aimea.org forward slash this week at work, or follow or subscribe wherever you get your news and entertainment, like LinkedIn, YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, we're everywhere you are. And you can be part of the show. Send your questions and comments anytime to info at thisweek.work. We'll see you next week, 7.30 a.m. Central Time, when we discuss what's happening this week at work.